Welcome to Wanderings. This is Syl Stenman, and uh, welcome back, Sandy, after her trip to Alaska. Here it was wonderful. Sandy, can you tell us one of the highlights that you will remember the longest? I think probably the spouting whales. I was on a small boat with 39 passengers, and it was wonderful. Now there Perfect are <laughs> weather, and we had whales spouting all around us. You're kind of privileged to see a site like that. There are not a I'm lot of people that get to do there's that. There's nothing like nature. Well, welcome back to Wanderings. And Thank we you. also welcome Jim Englehorn today. And, uh, Jim, um, we're going to have you talk about the second of your two careers. I mean, well, the, your yes, two careers that we know about. Yeah, I think people have heard about my travels overseas, but uh, I've, I've spent more time at the museum. So, how much detail do you? I'm sorry. My voice isn't ready to work yet this morning. <laughs> um, well, in uh, 1986, uh, Phillips Petroleum, where I'd worked for 30 years, was under attack by corporate raiders, and they'd taken on a lot of debt. So, they wanted to reduce expenses and they encouraged some of us uh, the the higher priced employees <laughs> um, to save some money and uh, we were encouraged then to take your retirement which I did and uh, okay I was 54 years old what was I going to do June my wife was concerned that uh, I didn't have anything to do. I mean, she didn't want me hanging around the house all the time. So I uh, I looked into some possibilities, maybe going back to school. But uh, when I finished, I'd be 58 years old, and who was going to hire an entry-level 58-year-old? So uh, volunteer opportunities... I went to the Museum of Natural History at the time and inquired if they needed volunteers. And you were a geologist. Yes. And uh, somebody met me and uh, asked me what I'd like to do. And I thought, well, I've been a geologist for 30 years. I'll try something different. And I said I'd be maybe zoology. So they took me to the zoology department and introduced me to the curators who tried to figure out something for me to do. Um, then they put me to work in uh, in their bird study skin collection. Well, let's see. And there was no volunteer. Um, there was no volunteer office, office. at the time. They they would, didn't do background checks. Uh, I'll lay my name, phone number, and uh, I was a warm body. 
They took a risk. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, the first thing I did was, uh, well, I'll back back up a little bit. In the zoology department was housed in the basement of uh, the... uh, the Phipps Auditorium, which is now the Amex Theater. And uh, so uh, they had in there uh, what's called a dermisterium. It was uh, where they kept a lot of scavenger beetles, uh, scavenger bugs, to uh, clean the flesh off of small animals and bones. So this actually took place in a room, a sealed off room. In a room about the size of this the radio studio room. here. Oh. Uh, but they had, uh, they tried every way to keep the bugs inside there, but occasionally they escape and get out, and there was lots of organic matter in the, in the area for them to chew on. So my job was to go through the bird study collection the dead birds, the skin birds, and see, uh, look for insect damage. Uh, note down what the specimen was and uh, where it was located in the collections. And this became a baseline study for future checking on the... Uh, well, this was nature's way. Yeah, right. Somebody asked me, one of you asked me the other day, what sizes were the birds? There's something like 30,000 birds in that collection, <laughs> from hummingbird to swan size. So these were in cage, though, because these... these they were they were dead. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the, they were they in were, cages, and the insects got through them. I mean, they were just not... No, they were in the drawers somehow. In the drawers, okay. Yeah. Really specific. As I was type. working on those, uh, I found that... A number of them that were part of the Edwin Carter collection. Edwin Carter was a gold miner in Breckenridge, amateur naturalist, and he collected uh, birds, animals, plants, insects, and uh, curated them in his own little museum in Breckenridge. But he was getting old, and he uh, would like somebody to take it up off his hands, so he offered them to Denver if the museum would build a building to put them in. And that became the foundation of uh, the Denver Museum of Natural History. Mm. Well, at what uh, stage would the birds be stuffed? And and did Mm. you do that? Stuffing the birds? They were stuffed. They were? Well, at that time they were stuffed with newspapers, sprinkled with arsenic powder, but the the newspapers, you could pull them out and read them and say, oh, there's Breckenridge, whatever the newspaper was, 1890. <laughs> um, you could tell how fresh they were so, or not. Well, then... Um, they tried to teach me how to skin dead birds, and I didn't think I wanted to do that, so I looked up Jack Murphy <laughs> in geology. Well, you kind of detected a little attitude about... The attitude of volunteers maybe not as being professionally grounded in those particular subjects. Well, there was, <clears throat> I detected a bit of an attitude that uh, volunteers 
were not professionally trained in that particular field. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were lesser beings. Uh, so there, the, one of the curators there, I uh, felt that they had that attitude, and I you know, didn't really appreciate. Yeah, I mean, they didn't appreciate what they probably didn't know who they were dealing with as yeah, far as your right. abilities. So then you made a change. Yeah, you, you did. You went into geology. Back to geology. Yes. And and tell uh, us about that. The same sort of thing occurred there. It was fact-checking again. Uh, the Coors Mineral Hall had been built in 1982, I believe. On IRA, the, right there in 86, there was some some question there about discrepancies, uh, discrepancies in the uh, in the cataloging. The, uh, all the mineral specimens were cataloged with three-by-five cards in an, in ledger on ledger sheets. And that it was my job then to go through all the cabinets and compare the data that's on the tag and the specimen with the information on these sheets. That's kind and, of tedious uh, work. <laughs> and it even it continued to the course Mineral Hall I had with a uh, watchful eye of the chief of security I got to go into every one of those mineral cases and check to make sure that the specimen that was there was numbered properly and matched up with the uh, records on the ledgers and the three by, three by five cards. There were quite a few mistakes, but we managed to correct those. Now you I mentioned that this hall, this uh, <laughs> cave, had exhibits with mirrors and... I'm sorry. Was that the hall that had the mirrors and the... Oh, oh as you go into the Coors Mineral Hall now, you walk down the hallway, and uh, at the end of the hallway, you see what looks like a cave. Well, there is. This is a, uh, a mock-up or a diorama, if you will, a case with very large crystals from a cave in Mexico, crystals of... Uh, calcite and the stalactites and stalagmites, very, very large ones. And it appears to be quite a deep cave. Well, the people who designed the exhibit cleverly pay, placed mirrors in there so that it appears like it goes way on, way back into the distance, and it's really not much deeper than this room we're sitting in here. Giving it the, the depth of the room. Yeah. So, well, tell us about the grant money that you got for your T-Rex project, okay. which was very exciting. They, uh, by this time, they were about, they had finished pretty much the new additions, and the entrance to the museum was transferred from the west side of the museum facing the lake at City Park to the north side, and there was this great open space in there. And the museum wanted something dramatic. <laughs> and as they, they found something as, dramatic. As, as visitors <laughs> come in there, and so they thought, well, how about how about a replica of uh, one of the most famous dinosaurs, the Tyrannosaurus Rex? And uh, they were able to get a grant from the Denver Foundation, and uh, assisted by hundreds of schoolchildren selling 
Halloween candy. That's such a raised, good contribution. Uh, raised the money. <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> to buy a replica of the Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton at the American Museum in New York. In New York City. <clears throat> the replica was a fiber fiberglass and polymer uh, epoxy composite. So the larger bones, they were all hollow. And uh, so it didn't weigh a whole lot. This enabled us to stand the skeleton up in a, in a strange pose on one leg <laughs> because it didn't weigh all that much. Anyway, <clears throat> the, uh, the pieces came from New York in large boxes and uh, were taken out to the Duffacy Iron Works on Federal and uh, opened up, taken apart, cut into the precise pieces that we could reassemble in this uh, pose. They were mounted on uh, metal, a metal framework, it's called an armature, inside the bones, so that you could, it's standing free. We assembled it there at Duffacy Iron Works uh, to make sure it would stand after we'd cut it apart and put it back together. Then took it apart, brought it to the museum. Uh, it happened, uh, the pieces were all put into a truck. It happened about lunchtime on a weekday. <laughs> and we came up 17th Avenue with uh, Jeff C. Stevenson and I, another volunteer, holding this T-Rex skull <laughs> on the top of the truck cab. <laughs> People wandering around on the streets during their lunch hour. They saw this dinosaur going up 17th Avenue. We waved at them and they waved back. Anyway, got the th thing put together in uh, in the uh, the new entrance lobby. How that, many pieces were there? How many pieces did you have to put together? Oh, I don't, I don't know how many boats are there in the T-Rex. Well, it must have taken. Each individual bone had to be. Hours, but, days, uh, months, what are we talking about to assemble all that? Hmm? Days, hours, months, how oh, long? Several weeks. Several weeks. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Stevenson, the other volunteer I mentioned, he was, he was a volunteer at the time. He's not gone on to a professional job with the museum. But anyway, he and I are the only ones left at the museum that were involved in that project that were still there now. And it was assembled so that there were certain joints that could be taken apart if necessary uh, to make repairs or uh -huh. change. And neither one of us remember where those joints are. <laughs> <laughs> so much for cataloging. <laughs> well, um, in 1988, the SCFD campaign started. Explain what was going on at that time. That was uh, Scientific and Cultural Facilities District mm -hmm. uh, tax. Uh, what was it? 1% on a 1% on a 10? I don't know what it was. Anyway, it was... Uh, it provided a lot of funds to the museum so that we could start filling up the uh, the new additions. And plans were made for the prehistoric journey exhibit on the third floor of the northeast northeast wing. 
and uh, and there was a lot of staff the, uh, expansion. The geology paleontology department up to that time was a one person and one collections manager, and maybe four or five volunteers. Now we were able to hire some additional staff, and that's when we brought in Dr. Richard Stuckey, uh, Dr. Kenneth Carpenter, uh, Kirk Johnson, uh, and uh, they began the plans for the, the prehistoric journey exhibit, which was uh, a history of, of life on Earth, back from the beginning of Earth through the development of the various through the various geologic eras. And it, as one goes through the exhibit now, um, you, uh, you end at uh, the Schleschmann Paleontology or Science Lab. There are glass windows there, and, and you can look in You can look in and see uh, see the volunteers at work. It's rather like a very large dermasterium. Here we are, humans, cleaning the bones. <laughs> and uh, so what? Well, that was the uh, planning of the prehistoric journey. And Dolores, you you had did you know her personally then? No. No, not then. I didn't meet Dolores until I came here to Holly Creek. But uh, I have thanked Dolores several times for the, her work with the Schleschmann Foundation, which helped to finance the Earth Science Lab. And, and we I will second her that, for thanks. <laughs> providing a place for me to spend my time in retirement. <laughs> so that was a big contribution in many, many ways. Yes. So then there was a certification program, uh, courses, and... Recruitments. Okay. Um, in order to uh, provide the specimens for the exhibits, and uh, well, even add to the collections. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, the uh, the cur curators, the page staff, uh, instituted a certification program for volunteers uh, to work in the lab and in the field. <clears throat> so uh, the, the program included a number of courses, and I'll read off uh, courses in paleontology, geology, stratigraphy, collections management, fossil preparation, research methods, and report writing, plus a two-week field course. And uh, as of, uh, let's see, well, okay, every year then uh, we had a big potluck dinner for the Earth Science Department, and uh, there was an award ceremony for those who graduated from the certification, and it was a, a party documenting with slideshows all the activities that the department had participated in during the during the year. Are those parties? Does this currently go on? I'm sorry. Is this a current thing to the certification? Uh, is this a constant? It uh, 
there have been changes, and it's it's kind of gone away. Uh -huh. I don't do it anymore. But uh, uh, I was able to find that in 1993, there were 100 participating students in the program with 12 graduates. And in 2013, there have been, up to that time, approximately 300 graduates. And of those, there were 89 who were currently volunteering. The well, staff encouraged independent research and publishing. They had more respect for uh, the volunteers than I found in the zoology department when I first started. It was started. so new when you first started. They yeah. encouraged people to do independent research. Well, Jim, uh, tell us about the Native American grave protection okay. and repeat. That was in 1991, <clears throat> commonly known as NAGPRA. <laughs> Passed by Congress, it was the Native American Grave Protection and Repatriation Act. And uh, I started working with the anthropology and archaeology department to help them catalog their collections to uh, determine what materials, working with the Native Americans, doing what artifacts and things needed to be returned to the tribes. So that was... Uh, that got a little tricky, classifying different kinds of bowls and the Kachina dolls and... It was, uh, yeah, to, for, to be efficient in the computer, things have to be... The same, yes. the same. Pacific. And, uh, I had a, a hard time getting people to uh, be consistent. Uh, there must be f three or four different ways to spell Kachina. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a ceramic bowl is not the same same thing as a, a bowl, comma, ceramic. Mm. Uh, uh, cataloging uh, things of her database... Uh, it it helps to have a hierarchical system. It works well with zoology, where there's a, by tax on there's field uh, family, genera, species, mm -hmm. uh, things to be cataloged. And minerals are the same way, but how do you catalog artifacts? Blankets versus bowls versus necklaces. And Big categories, but very small. Yeah, there's no hierarchical system to it anyway. Well, uh, then there there was the um, Colorado Hall bringing in wildflowers and oh, dioramas. The uh, the dioramas uh, had been there for a long time. In fact. Uh, should I go into the background? Well, it's interesting. I think we <laughs> the, have a few uh, minutes. The diorama shells were a, a background, sort of curved, mm -hmm. and they were fit into a rectangular space. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. They'd been there for quite a while, and uh, some of the colors uh, were fading in the dioramas. And they needed to be refurbished, so the 
whoever was doing that asked for uh, volunteers to loan them, if they had them, uh, wildflower pictures to match up, make sure they got the colors right. Well, I I loaned them a whole bunch of my wildflower pictures. You're the right person. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the dioramas and some background are all actual places. If when they were building them in back in the 30s, 20s and 30s, they sent expeditions out to collect materials and uh, photograph scenes which were then replicated in the dioramas. So in the Colorado Hall, there are places that if you know enough about, you can identify the exact place, exact place where where the uh, diorama was situated. We talked about something hidden in these dioramas. <laughs> something hidden. Something behind the scenes. Oh, the hidden, <laughs> yes. The, uh, the guys, I think it was one particular artist who painted the backgrounds, had a sense of humor, and he painted into some of them, nine or ten of them, gnomes, small <laughs> gnomes or elves. One one per each diorama that he chose to put in. And they are little figures, maybe an inch and a half tall. Uh, kind of like a Where's Waldo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know where a bunch of them are. They used to have a sheet that they handed out to visitors who could then go and look for them. But, well, there was a really special day in 2009. A visitor came oh, yes. with a, a cause that was quite a wonderful day. At, uh, at that time, the museum had it starting putting solar panels on the roof. And uh, President Obama was uh, interested in promoting ecology, green, uh, renewables, and whatnot. And he came to Denver and uh, came to the museum and wanted to see the solar panels that we had on the top, of the, on the roof. Um, he presented a talk at the museum. The museum was closed except to, for invited guests. But anyway, uh, the Secret Service was quite nervous about having him go up onto the roof because uh, there was a staircase for access to the roof. There used to be a, uh, a planetarium and a telescope mm. up there. And the staircase was an, an iron staircase in a very narrow passage. You could reach both sides with you, reach out with your arms. Room for one person at a time, and the Secret Service didn't like this. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> but uh, they managed managed to get Obama up there with the director, the mayor, and the governor all, and their pictures of of them standing there looking at the mountains with the with the solar panels in the foreground. Uh, a number of oh, several years later. June and I were at a luncheon, and uh, George Sparks, the director, was telling us about the Obama staircase. Oh, we didn't know about the Obama <laughs> staircase. On the third floor, 
uh, between a couple of the dioramas, there's a wall, a door set into the wall. It's hardly visible. You just barely see the outline of the door, and all that's exposed is the is the key lock. And George opened it, opened it up, and we walked in and walked up, walked up the Baba staircase oh. to the roof. <laughs> so. Well, he went back with some good information. And and a kind of exciting trip at the yeah. museum. So he was there for uh, green energy purposes and saw what was happening yeah, in Denver. Yeah, he was promoting green. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there are some other things that um, the museum does in a general. I know that they have. Well, I'd like to mention uh, mm-hmm. uh, the collections. All the departments were pretty much scattered all over through the museum in uh, nooks and crannies behind the dioramas. In fact, a large part of the geological collection had access only through the ladies' restroom on the second floor (laughs) behind the elevators. But uh, recently, I think it would be 2014, the museum opened a five-story addition on the south south side of the museum. It's uh, the Avenir Collection Center. Uh, the, the, top, the ground floor is available for exhibits and offices. The second and third floor above ground, well, second floor above ground has some, some unusual storage. I'll try to move this. Uh, temporary exhibits on the third floor. But the two floors underground are climate-controlled storage facilities where we consolidated all of the museum collections into this research facility. Oh, if we had more time to talk, but I want to mention one thing. We, did, we can't have Jim explain this now because we're out of time, but he won the Golden Brain Award of 2006. Now, get a hold of Jim, talk to him, ask him what it is, because... <laughs> there is a big meaning behind this, but you well, talk to Jim. And, I've got uh, lots, of, lots of stuff <laughs> I could talk about. The, the closure of the North American Indian Hall uh, its going on right now, and the reasons why, these are all things. I'd be glad to talk to anybody about anything in the museum. It's all really very interesting. Jim, we thank you so much for being here today <laughs> with us. And... and uh, uh, we could we could go on. I think I have four pages and a volunteer story. This has all been inspired by the article behind uh, in the mailbox section on the bulletin board yes, behind. You uh, can read the, it there. For some reason, they chose me to put a little <laughs> blurb about volunteerism in the annual report from the museum. And that's Wanderings for today. Thank you so long, and we'll be back next time. Thanks, Jim. It's great to You're have welcome. you here. You're welcome. Pleasure. I go and love to sing my knapsack come by day. Madrid.